0: So basically we can start with that point that how to recover sati. That's a really important point because basically what's happened is is that we have um, spent too much time not waking up so that it's almost like a downhill journey that things start just a tiny little bit bad, and then they head off in the wrong direction. Okay, what we mean by heading off in the wrong direction is the further in the direction you go, the heavier things are. And so um, a lot of people have that with with meditation. They think that in order to fully understand Dukkha, they've got to let it roll. But now the important point for you is, is that you did wake up. You, you couldn't you could have told me the story if you didn't have wake, woke up. Okay, so at whatever depth or whatever level you're in, there is eventually a time we wake up. So the whole intention is to wake up sooner and sooner. But whenever we wake up, we still have to take the right effort to come out of it. That's part of the reason why the beginner has so much effort is because they've picked up on things so late. So now they have to do not only the turnaround, but now they have to make kind of the direction all the way back to where they were before so that they now can go off in further in the right direction. All right. So... It does take a bit of effort, but almost always what happens instead when people wake up to the fact that they have been spending way too much mind moments in the past short period of time in a funk, because they've already got into a mental attitude of a funk, they're waking up to it and seeing the funk as a funk, but they still haven't woken up strongly enough to get out of the funk and turn things around. In fact, it adds a new layer of funk. (laughs) And that's when words come up like it's hard. The word, it's hard, or darned, or this meditation is difficult, when in fact the change of mind is needed is, aha, finally I see you. We have to add that point of joy in there, wherever or ever how long we've got into that funk. We still, at that point in time of waking up, is are we going to continue this funk? Are we going to get out of it right now? That's the real issue, and everyone needs to know that. And talking about this over and over again, in fact, I'm really glad that you asked the question the way you did so that we can talk about it in just this way. And so many people, when they're in meditation and they catch their mind in a funk, they think the right thing to do is to examine the funk. No, that's not the right thing to do. We've already examined it enough to see it's funk. (laughs) We've already caught it. We don't have to wallow in it thinking about, oh, poor me, look at all the funk I'm in. Let's take a look at every little piece of funk there is here and get out of it immediately by a change of attitude. And that attitude is actually a very, very tiny little change of attitude is, aha, I see you, Mara. I see you, funk. It's a good word. I haven't used that word in 40 years. (laughs) You may not even have heard it before. It's an old word. Funk? Funk. Funky? Yeah. It's a good word. That means not quite up to scratch. Another word would be wampy jawed but that's that's even last century. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I haven't heard that one before.
0: Well, wampy whop- jaw means somebody's got their jaw broken, mm. and it's over to the side, and it may heal wrong, and so their, uh, their teeth never match again. But that's what we're talking about, and these are just expressive words for dukkha. But right now, the word funk seems to be, because that's what we've actually, the kind of words that we need to use. Dukkha is too high pollutant and when they translate it into suffering, people will say, well, I'm not suffering right now. Well, yeah, but you're in a funk. (laughs) And the question is, are we going to stay in the funk to examine the funk, or are we going to get out of the funk? And the question is, how much? Which one takes the most work? I don't know. Okay. Well, the the old habit is is to stay in the funk. Yeah. Maybe turn it into a first-class pity party. Oh, no, this meditation stuff is so hard. I'll never get it. I don't have a good teacher. Oh, I don't know the right techniques. All this stuff is terrible. That's how funky it can get. That's why Gawenka has such a powerful expression. As soon as you see the funk, never mind, start again which is another way of expressing, aha, I see you. And we have to grab it, and that takes a full waking up. Not just to wake up enough to see the funk as a funk, but the funk to get out of the funk. In that regard, that's right effort. You have to actually take the effort. But the effort has an immediate reward. Uh Aha, I don't have to be in that funk. This is not a funk right now. This is good. And so we can come out of it. We can come out of it quickly. This is the actual practice of Anapanasati, is the sati to wake up, fully to wake up. Then we take the right effort to gladden the mind, to throw the funk out, to throw the hindrances out, and to feel free from the hindrances. There is a Sutta number 39 in the Majjhima Nikaya that talks about these hindrances in a, in a set of metaphors, and when you understand these metaphors, then you begin to understand what a relief it is to be free from these hindrances. Now, there are five metaphors that are used, and that you can kind of put one metaphor on one hindrance and line them up. But uh, it gets messy when we begin to understand <laughs> that hindrance is hindrance. And that they affect each other. They run in circle around each other so that one hindrance will bring in the next, and uh, we have kind of combination. And that these five metaphors also have interrelationships, but each one of them is a different example. Okay, so the first one that we generally uh, use would be being in jail, being in prison. Bhikkhu doxa talks about it as the prison of life, Okay. Prisons are designed for punishment. They're not designed for rehabilitation. Therefore, prison means that we are in an uncomfortable situation. You can almost think of it as hell. That prisons are designed to be a hell on earth. Well... If we are in fact creating a hell on earth for ourselves or a prison for ourselves or a place where that we can't get out of, then imagine what it's like to actually be in prison and then get out to get out of jail, to be free so that you can go where you want to go. Some people get used to prison. Some people, i heard stories, after many years in prison, they will go out after they get out of prison, will go intentionally to commit a crime so that they can get back into prison because they, they knew their way around there and at least they got food. <laughs> so people, in fact, can find excuses for staying in the prison of their own mind. So that's the first analogy, getting out of jail free. The second one is the analogy of being sick, okay? When you go to the hospital you're sick and we feel bad. Now with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa he would say that's a really good opportunity to practice. By how? by putting the mind in a state of uh, the mind is not sick the body is sick but the mind is not sick i am not sick the body is sick and that's a really really good practice and in a way we come out of the sickness right then and there even though we're still in the hospital but when we do get out of the hospital now we really feel good so that's another way of looking at it is being free from hindrances means getting out of the hospital, getting out of a um, uh, uh, bed, a sick bed. So, um, the next analogy is being a servant. This one is the one that clearly looks like greed because a servant is someone who has to go and do something for someone else. Like the servant of the king has to be up before the king does fully dressed so that he can dress the king, feed the king the breakfast, and then the last thing before at night, and then the servant finally can go to bed after the king goes to bed, right? Okay. We are, in fact, in servitude. What are we in servitude to? Our greed. The things we want. You see, the servant is a servant to the king because he wants something from that king. And he probably does quite well in the things that he wants from the king. But if we stop wanting things from the outside world, then we're no longer a servant to the outside world. And so thinking about things that we want puts us in servitude. The next analogy is getting out of debt. I don't know if you're in debt or not, but the Buddha does make quite a deal about it. In fact, he talks about uh, uh, borrowing money to make a business deal, and after the business deal is made, that there's enough profit left over so that you can pay off the debt and feed your family for a while. That's quite a relief. Most people get themselves into debt. I learned a long time ago, I think, in fact, uh, I kind of learned it at a child, but it was my mom, really, who was an accountant in a way. She was uh, frugal that way, didn't like to go into debt. And so I've been that way my whole life. And the the times that for some reason or another I've gotten into debt, the immediate thing is, is to get out of it to pay that debt off monthly double, or whatever, to get out of this thing. Whether it's the house, or the car, or uh, credit cards, or whatever it is, get out of debt. Because there's some freedom. We can't do anything. In fact, we're locked in as a servant if we are in debt. So that, in fact, shows how we, um, if we're in debt, the, the hindrances work together this way. That if we're in debt, we're in service to the debt. We're a servant to it, and we have to uh, uh, service that debt. Uh, the next analogy is the. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in debt before, but you, are you you never have, huh? So you understand what we're talking about? Yeah, but yeah,
1: I See? I understand.
0: Okay, but if you were in debt. One of the things that you would uh, would really say, I want to get out of debt. That's the important point. Why is it that then the students would say, um, why do I pay attention to as if I'm paying a debt to this funk? When I really don't owe this funk anything. I am free of the debt of this past. I do not have to fix the past. Wow, what a freedom it is to think that we no longer have to pay off the past. We don't have to pay it any attention or fix any of its problems that the past is finished. That way the past doesn't stir up to cloud our um, current perceptions. So that we wind up feeling the way that we used to feel. Is because no, we we live our life in the moment, and therefore we use the new moments and the new present times that we've had through shati to be that which we rely upon to manufacture our understanding. In this way we've kind of changed focus. Instead of focusing on the old past, now we're focusing on the present moment. So
1: we get out of the hindrance of the past by directing our attention to the present?
0: Precisely. Okay. And so that's exactly how we get, and not only that, but that takes some effort.
1: Yeah,
0: it does. That, in fact, you're. that's actually right. to to focus on this present moment and what's happening in this present moment. And if you look at a whole wide variety of meditation techniques, all of them are designed to bring the student back to the present moment. Mahasi's noting system is designed to keep the student present by telling himself a story about what's happening right now. Go anchor, never mind, start again. Come back to the breath and watch the breath and focus on the breath. Not last week's breath or next month's breath, but this breath, right now. And so all of the practice has to do with bringing the mind out of the past and into the present moment. But when we get into... um, Sometimes the present moment is so crowded with the past that we can't tell or distinguish the two. An example is when we're angry. We don't recognize that this anger that we have now is actually something out of the past. It's not what's really happening in this present moment.
1: Yeah, that's been difficult for me. I I, I don't get angry too often, but when I do, I notice it's it's very difficult for me to have sati.
0: For a while Uh after, too. Yeah. But you do have sati. It's just not enough sati. It's a complete wake-up. Because if you had no sati at all, then you wouldn't even have remembered or noticed or talked to me about it at all.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: But in fact, you've woken up to this many times over and over and over again, seeing that, hey, now I can wake up to it, but I can't get out of it yet. Well, congratulations, you're making some improvement. You're beginning to wake up. It's just that you need a little bit more effort, a little bit more um, wake up, which means to actually see staying in it is dukkha. It is a pump. Examining a funk is a funk. Once you see it's a funk, there is no reason to to examine it. (laughs) The example is walking across the cow pasture because the cows are on the other side of the pasture. If you keep your eye focused on the cows, you're going to get really messy to get over there because the cows have been doing their cow pies all over this pasture. No, you need to focus right now where you step every step. Okay, so this is the kind of the way, but um, so that's the way that you have to do that. Is is that once you wake up, you can say, okay, now, <laughs> now I'm not going to step any more cow pies. I've had enough already. We don't have to uh, examine the cow pies. Yeah so that, that that's one of the dangers of what they call psychological archaeology and that's one of the major differences between the teachings of the buddha and other systems for instance dream interpretation the buddha says forget the dreams let's focus on what you can actually see because when you were in the dream you were asleep you were not awake Okay, so let's. um, um, Other things is like um, what is (laughs) called psychological archaeology. All right, now it's really, really good to watch children in the developmental stages of uh, children and understand it through developmental psychology. And you can also see traits in humans when they're adults that point back to trauma times that were based upon a time when a child was a particular uh, age, that these things are age-related. But it's not a good idea for the psychologist then to try to get the student to recollect and remember the past. That's what I was doing in psychology. I have a really excellent memory of my past, unfortunately. Because I remember a lot of grief. (laughs) I remember a lot of funk. And so now the point is, is to not go there anymore. And so your question is how do we get out of the past? Is by coming to the present. How do we get out of the funk? is by getting out of the past. Because right now, I mean, just look around you. Notice where you are. You're safe right now. There is nothing dangerous at all about it. There's no one tapping you on the shoulder saying, do this and do that. This is a time just to sit and relax and feel really good. But we don't let ourselves do that. We start worrying about things. So, um, when we start to worry about things, and then we catch ourselves worrying, then we start worrying about being worried. Yeah,
1: that happens
0: to me. That's the same thing, Uh uh-huh. But we need to, when we see the worry, is say, ah, I see you worry. And whatever it is I was worried about, I don't have to think about that right now. I can think about what's happening right now. Because whatever's worrying me is not worrying me right now. It's the thoughts about it, it, but it's the worry. Okay. So um, we can think of it also not just worried, but pestering. Because in that regard, is normally when we use the word pestering, something from the outside is pestering. But when we bring it inside, then we pester ourselves with it. But in this present moment, when we're pestering ourselves with something, it's the actual thing that was pestering us at one time is really not there right now.
1: Right, yeah.
0: An example is we see a newscast, and the newscast with great exasperation says blah, 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 and everybody gets really exasperated. Okay, so now you turn the computer off for the TV or whatever like that, and you're feeling exasperated. Why? Oh, well, it's because the, the TV announcer said something really exasperating. Okay, well, be exasperated right then, but then get over it, and when it's finished, you'll be finished with that exasperation. Why carry exasperation around?
1: Yeah, I've been having difficulty with this with, with my work because I, I work a lot, and uh, I carry, like, you know the stress
0: of it into pretty much every
1: moment.
0: Okay, so when you see that, you can recognize, hey, I don't have to pay that debt right now.
1: Right.
0: I don't owe it anything right now. Which leads us then to the last or the final of the metaphors. and that is the journey, that one is on a long journey and the example is a caravan, so its camels are loaded down with goods and the merchant finally reaches his destination, either an oasis along the way or finally gets home. When he gets home, he can unpack the camels and then relax. Because he's arrived home with all of his goods, he didn't get robbed, he's not out on the trail, it's not hot desert sand or whatever, that finally we have reached home. Well, think about that in the sense of the hindrance, because the mind is out there wandering in the desert, is out there problem-solving is out there, in fact, trying to pay a debt. But here we are at home. We are no place to go and nothing to do, because we've already arrived. So that's what it feels like to have paid off the debt and arrived at home, and we can just simply relax. The job is done. There's nothing more to be done. What a load off the mind. Out of debt, out of prison, out of illness, out of uh, wandering around, out of service. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. Out of service. Like a vending machine that no longer has to vend for itself.
1: I I reach that point when I meditate, but then it's always the, my mind goes, but, and then it like starts searching again. And it's very difficult for me to sustain.
0: Okay. That's exactly the way that we are. um, Let us say that's the way humans progress. So that's exactly the reason why we need to get into seclusion is to take that time in meditation to say, yes, I am going to get free from these hindrances so that I can feel like I've arrived home, that, there's that, that I'm now out of service, that I can just simply relax. Workers need to feel that every day, but retired people generally would rather die and croak themselves to death than to actually retire and <laughs> be out of service completely. Let go already. And that's also the way that of, of the monk, especially as uh, the senior monks, is just to let go of everything in, in that way. All right. So when you mention the word, let it be, what that generally means is, here I am caught in a funk, let it be. That's not the right way to let it be. When we've got ourselves in the funk, when we recognize that here we are toiling away at it, that we get out of service. And then we leave all the service items to be. Let those things be, I'm out of service. One of the expressions that we picked up, uh, a student and I, who lived here in Thailand uh, for about six months, he's back in L.A. now, uh, was the, the phrase, not my business. And in that particular time, he because he was back and forth at the Watt, all of the Watt business he'd drag in here, to bring up all the Watt business. The answer is, not my business. Maybe interesting and curious, but it's not a task. No reason to far off of either an angry or a friendly email. <laughs> Just because that's not my business. Politics, not my business. And then in fact when you start getting a long, long list of businesses that are in fact not your business and you let go of each one of them, whenever you recognize that you've made something your business, go out of business. So... We learn to do that sitting on the floor or in the on the couch or whatever in our meditation time. But we do that because we're building up the skill of sati, not the first level of sati, but the full level of sati to wake up to say, ah, that's yucky, you know. <laughs> it's like, ah, don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, back to that fifth... Um, Uh, example of being free from uh, being out on a journey. Uh, Before events happened, it was necessary to go to Koh Samui on the ferry, and generally the timing of it was that I would take the same uh, catamaran, high-speed catamaran, as most of the tourists. And so you'd have here a big catamaran with 300 tourists on it, and every one of them is just doubled over, piled with luggage. A suitcase in the front, a backpack in the front, a bigger backpack in the back, and carrying a stroller or um, a big suitcase on uh, rollers. And here they are all standing in line to get on the boat, worrying about where they put their luggage and everything, and I'm standing here with (laughs) nothing but a couple of... Pieces of paper in the pocket to go do the uh, um, the visas, and reflecting upon this hindrance, wow, to be able to travel without luggage, or to and so that's another way of looking at it is is that the the problem is so much baggage that we carry whenever we are out and about. And in a way, that baggage is important. And I've
1: noticed that something that's kind of frustrating with like in like the Western culture is that we don't see this baggage as something to let go of, but it's something that's like tied to us and something to be dealt with like analytically.
0: Like yes, almost that's our original sin. That's the sin. We are tied to it. But like when I when I speak with you know I don't know I, I get
1: the feeling that people are like, yes, this baggage is like what is like who I am. It's like, no, it's something you're holding. And that's right, right? It's something we're holding and we can let go of. It's not ourself.
0: What a beautiful way to state it. That's exactly right. We define ourselves by the things that we hold and cling to. And when you're not clinging or holding to anything, then it's really difficult to get a good, clear definition. And that's when we begin to recognize there is nothing to define, but it's all a matter of process. And nowhere in that process is there really a me until there is suffering or there is the funk. It's in fact at that point of the funk, the funk is me. This is who I am funk or cow pie, or dukkha or shit or all of the various words to express the fact that it is um let us say not worthy so stop defining ourselves by letting go of these things and how do we do that Well, you've already started to practice that in meditation. To let go of these things that hinder us. To let go of the things we're indebted to. To let go of the things that we want. To let go of all of the baggage. And the baggage that weights us down and makes us tired. So we can think of also physiologically that we need to take deep breaths so that we can get the, the mind bright and clear, to make it healthy. So when we're bro- go ahead, is is the deep
1: breaths um, a part of the the entire journey, or is that especially because I'm a beginner and I need like the extra energy?
0: It's the entire journey. Mindfulness of breathing is the practice. Every time we become mindful, taking that deep breath, in fact, one of the ways of thinking of it is, is that when the mind is in hindrance, when the mind is in the funk, the the reason that it, it is, is because it's in denial, it's uh, in hiding, it's uh, like a wounded dog that's looking for uh, protection and privacy, and... In that regard, it's shutting down. And the way that we take that metaphor and do it physically is that we shut down our breathing instead of opening it up. But then,
1: where does the what's the role of the second stage two of Anapanasati, where we take the
0: short breaths? Um. <laughs> There are two ways of looking at that, and that um, my, my good dear friend Anchan Dhamma Vitu, who is an English monk who lives much of the uh, time over at uh, uh, Watson Wat so- Mok, but uh, once a month comes to do retreats uh, or longer over here on the island on Coast Samui. And he and I have had talks and I've also had students who have done his retreats that come back and verify that what he is teaching, and I'll say it like that, uh, that I kind of agree with him because there is exact advantage of it. But what the disagreement is, is that what he is talking about is that exactly what the Buddha meant by the short breath or is it that uh, the the shorter breath is actually not short in time duration, but that as we practice and go deeper, um, the breath is really, really long, but it is uh, quite shallow, so that we're still breathing deeply, but this shorter breath that takes so much longer Uh, gives the appearance that we're not even breathing at all. Because there's not much movement of the body, but yet it's a slow rhythmic breathing. Okay, so uh, that's not taught to beginners or even to intermediate students because they're not ready for it. That this is higher jhana stuff. However, There is another way of looking at the short breath, and that is the way that it has some advantage for at least intermediate students because uh, Achan Dhamma Vitu doesn't teach this in in the beginner's courses, but he will teach it in the more advanced course. Okay, this is the kind of breathing that is intentioned to get a lot of oxygen into the mind very quickly. They get it fully oxygenated. This breathing is is much closer to the kind of breathing that we would call being out of breath, because the uh, the, uh, the anterior cortex is actually demanding the breath. This can be because we're in a brawl, we're in a fight, we're running, we're walking uphill, carrying a load, all of these kinds of activities, physical activities, and sometimes otherwise, but we'll get to the otherwise later. These heavy physical activities will cause the, um, uh, the normal breathing system to become very rapid. And that many times when people will sit down after exercising or whatever, they'll say, let me catch my breath. And what they mean by that is they don't like having to breathe this hard, this fast. And they want to stop it. They want to now consciously control it to, uh, because they don't like the fact that the lungs are getting tired and it's actually a lot of work another way of talking about this is not quite up to the speed of a panting dog because dogs are not panting to uh for breathing purposes they're panting for air for um cooling purposes because a lot of moisture they can have put out of their mouth if there's very very fast breathing this is not fast fast shallow but it is quick in the sense of short duration, okay? So let me start giving you an example of that now that I've defined it (laughs) so uh, many words and the words don't help. So let's give a demonstration of that. Watch this shoulder here as well as uh, listen, all right? Also notice I'm breathing in with the nose and out with the mouth. Keep going. Let's go. Just start describe how you feel.
1: Really good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like high almost, but
0: uh, like would you use the word high? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is a natural high. Exactly. Everybody who wants to go deep into meditation—they don't understand what they're talking about. We're going to go high, man.
1: That's the that's the intermediate breath though right that you were talking about not the this the breath that I should be doing is that right
0: well this is a, like I said this is what uh, Dhamma Vitu and um, let I should say this also Dhamma v is like I am a very strict Buddha dasonist okay so I know that I have heard this from Bhikkhu Dasa, but I have only seen uh Achan excuse me, Achan actually uh, do this with students. But uh, Prana Yoga
1: has the same thing, right? Where it's like the
0: Sure, this is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly that. With exactly the same results, just different title. In fact, anapana and pranayana are exactly the same words in different languages, and reversed. Anapana, pranayana, or anapana is backwards. Okay. I see. Pana is the out breath, and ana is the in breath. And you can put an R in there, prana, or uh, Pana that's where the word the word pant comes from Pants? Yeah, like the panting dog this is it, out breath but that's not good air exchange This shorter breath the one right. that's like that'll get you high Yeah. In about twenty to thirty seconds. So what what I do I see that in breath will get you high also gets the body oxygenated, just not quite as quickly. But we want to get the mind oxygenated. It gets clean and clear.
1: It does feel clear. Yeah. Like my, my vision, like yeah.
0: Right. It, yeah. it wakes up the senses that's the whole point is let's get out of the, the head let's get out of the mind out of that sixth sense that we spend so much time in which is the, the one who develops the thought because that's the primary ingredients of his pie but in the here now with vibrant energy and vibrantly being alive we can experience the environment completely satisfying. It's completely, oh wow, it really is nice. And so we can begin to develop this practice of making sure that we're breathing well. So it's all day,
1: every day, deep breaths.
0: I would not use the word all day. That's the trap. That gets into greed. Okay. A better way of talking about it is every time you remember. When do you remember? That's the tr- that's the new skill to de- be developed is to remember, to wake up, to do it. To come out of the funk, to take a few deep breaths and enjoy the moment over and over and over and over again until it becomes kind of like a new habit. And then we begin to get some real success. Then we know that we can do this. And that's when the real attitude change comes about, is that firm knowledge that we can do this. But you're waking up, you're getting started, now you're waking up enough to see Dukkha. The second step is to wake up enough to take the right effort to come right out of it. By coming to the here now, taking a deep breath. That's why the breath is in fact such an anchor. That really helps to understand that we have to do something.
1: This is good. This is good. I feel like I've been zigzagging uh, in my practice just enough to see that I am zigzagging. That like the path is you know this, this way.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um,
1: before we end today, could we talk a little bit about like Anapanasati and ex- like explicitly what I should be doing in my seated practice at this stage?
0: Gosh, we've been talking about that in the past 40 minutes or more.
1: I know. I know we have. But, like, or maybe it'd be better if I just explain to you and you just make sure that I have the right idea.
0: Okay. I'm up so, for
1: that. Okay. So, well, first off, one thing I've noticed is that uh, in the mornings I have a harder time getting sati, so I've been trying to make sure that I have, like, half an hour in the morning to, like, for seated practice. And then I also have something in the evening. And then throughout the day, I'm, I try to like also just remember. Um, okay, but I sit. I remember to be here. I take deep breaths. And I, con- I be aware, I concentrate on my breaths. Um, and when I see um, kind of like hindrances or just striving or grasping then I recognize that as Mara and I come out of it and That in the same in a, in a sense is the same thing as gladdening the mind So I, I focus on just like the pleasant aspects of the present, mm-hmm. um, and then I can also bring in awareness of uh, the, the body and of like body sensations and also of mind and feelings or should I leave that out for now? Yeah, right Okay.
0: Absolutely. In fact, sati was a mind in event anyway. Sorry, say that and again. I said sati was a mental event anyway.
1: I see. Okay.
0: Okay, right effort also is a mental event. You cannot even take a deep breath and without the actual intention to do so, which is one's right effort. So, we already got the mind in there. The next thing is, is that once we get ourselves into a nice, pleasant state, we actually, in order to do that, have been working with the feelings also. That we actually talked ourselves into, I don't have to be in a funk right now. I can be out of a funk. I can actually feel secure. I don't have to feel afraid. I can feel satisfied. I don't have to want anything. I can feel contentment because there's nothing uh, restless about you know, the moment I don't have to be in a wandering mind. And so we have satisfaction and contentment and uh, um, safety, security, and that's a feeling. All of those are feelings that we're actually manipulating intentionally, we okay. do it with intention. And that because we're doing it with intention and we're doing it intentionally and getting it intentionally in this moment, it's got a different quality than wanting things we don't have. Because wanting generally is not right intention and getting the results right in this very moment. Okay, so longing for enlightenment or wanting to be enlightened. And even recently, I've had to talk to a student about this satisfaction is not satisfying enough. I want more satisfaction. It's not really satisfaction at all. (laughs) Actual satisfaction is being satisfied with it. We don't have to want any more. Right, yeah. Okay, so... Getting out of those hindrances and being satisfied with the moment. Now is when the time we can say, let it be. Which is the same thing as saying, is not my business. But we don't say, let it be when we're in the funk. We're not going to let the funk be. That's the difference. And a lot of students don't understand that. They think that they should be in the funk so that they can observe the funk and know the funk very well. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're still in the funk. So we, have to, so we have to get out of it. And that's the natural tendency for the first thing for the student to do. But now you're seeing it. Congratulations. So now go practice getting out of it taking a deep breath and say I don't have to be in that funk I'm out of it and if you want to you can practice with this shorter breath whenever you like
1: okay
0: but one of the other of them either the long or the short we're going to be watching for that in fact that shorter breathing that that we've just demonstrated uh, does take mindfulness it does take sati every in breath and every out breath requires effort also right effort right sati so that uh that uh short breathing has a very very specific quality it's like pumping iron So you ask, that's the answer, okay? Dhamma V2, it it really is, it's like pumping iron. (sighs) But you get results almost immediately within 10, 20 seconds. You don't feel tired anymore. So
1: this might be, this is kind of a random, maybe silly question, but when I'm trying to go to sleep, Do I forget about
0: the breath then and just kind of (laughs) like... Let's talk about going to sleep later. There's a whole talk about it. An hour or more. But the way that I would say is don't don't do the short breath or maybe do it a little and then the long breath. And make it a long, relaxed, deep breath with nowhere to go and nothing to do. You don't have to go to sleep. You can just lay here and enjoy the moment. What a nice, nice moment this is. All right.
1: That sounds very nice.
0: Right. <laughs> That's the way to go to sleep.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right. So go practice, and we'll see you later what's happening.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll see you sooner than this, than this last. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye.